0: We look at the Word. Help us continue in the attitude of worship as we uh, seek to understand the text and what it, what it says to us and how we could submit ourselves to it. Help us give our lives, help us give our bodies as that living sacrifice, the sacrifice of praise. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. So one of the greatest joys of my life turns four today. He Looks like he's on his way out right now, but uh, yeah, (laughs) Grayson turns four, so pretty exciting. We are uh, finishing up Malachi today, this is the last one in Malachi, so if you grab a Bible and turn to Malachi chapter 3, and right around verse 13, so... Last book of the Old Testament, the only Italian writer of the Bible we know of, Malachi, some people pronounce his name. <clears throat> Any Italians in the room today? Anybody? Oh, not really. oh, Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Malachi 3.13. So, if you're just joining us, we've been talking about how... Malachi is written to Israel, and Israel is very apathetic. Uh, they're, they're kind of, they kind of have this attitude that we've been through these the 70 years of captivity. You know, we've, we've been in Babylon, but now we're back in the land. But why'd you make us go through all that? You know, and they rebuild the temple, and it's not as impressive as the temple in the past. And so it's like, what? they're just kind of at this low spiritual point where, where they don't care a lot. And they begin this process of disobeying, and, and, and men start, start divorcing their wives and marrying uh, uh, women who don't believe in God at all. And they start offering the, the worst sacrifices the blind animals, the lame animals, kind of like who cares what God thinks, we'll just give them our leftovers. <clears throat> they stop tithing, <clears throat> and all these things, God is calling them back, calling them back. And this is the end. And as you know, Malachi is set up in kind of a question-answer format where God says something and then Israel says, really, how does that work? And God says, this is how it is. And so we'll see that again today. Here it is in verse 13. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. And yet you ask, what have we said against you? You've said it's futile to serve the Lord, serve God. What do we gain by carrying out His requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in His presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored His name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, They will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day when the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I'll come and strike the land with total destruction. So Israel's question is how have we spoken against you? And God says, I've been listening to what you've been saying and, and you're saying that wicked people are blessed by me. And that if you're arrogant, it actually goes pretty well for you. I've heard you saying that. And so I think the question underneath the question is this. Is it really worth serving God? Is it really worth obeying His commands? I- Israel says, why don't we mourn? You know? like, like why should we be sad when, when we break the law of God? You know, wh- what's the point? Because other people are breaking the law of God, and it seems to be going really well with them. They're arrogant and they sin. And over here, when we sin, we're supposed to be like, whoa, you know, it's bad. And What's the point? Because they're better off than we are. I think the question underneath the question is, is faith worth it? Is faith worth it? And I think we've all probably at some point been through a season of life that's made you ask that question. It could be a physical problem, pain in the body, and and then you say, what? How come everybody else is doing so well? And over here, I'm I'm struggling. Or maybe one of the most painful things to the Christian is conflict in church, in another family, another believer, saying something, doing something that just, just hurts so, so deeply. Some of you have been there. And you say, is faith really worth it? And I know in some people's lives, the the moment where they start to walk away from the church is that moment when they were hurt by another believer. And those are hard days. It might be you're your financial situation, your job situation, you say, I- I'm struggling to make ends meet, but it looks like other people in this life who don't love the Lord at all <clears throat> get ahead and have everything they need. And, and you might even include some believers in church. It seems like they have everything they need. But I know I'm worshiping God. I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And it, if everything is true of Malachi, then, then God owns all the resources on the earth anyway. How about He sends some more my way? Right? I mean, if he really owns it all, why hasn't he entrusted me with more? Doesn't he see that I've been faithful? So so there's lots of life circumstances that cause you to question your faith and the reality of God's existence and the reality of his working in your life. There's these things that happen. And so this morning I want to preach from the perspective of, is it worth it? Is faith worth it? And of course, you know, I'm going to say, yes, it is. Faith is definitely worth it. And I think when Malachi is writing this and telling the people this, he's saying, you know what, life may be hard, but don't give up hope. This is so worth sticking in, you know, staying in there and running the full race. It's so worth it. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Let's do this. Uh, Number one, faith is not about arrogant individuality, but about communal encouragement. I think the way I want to present this whole message is there might be some things we misunderstand about the faith, and that's why we ask the question, is it worth it? There may be some things we're getting wrong about the faith, or maybe some errors that are creeping into our faith, and because we believe those errors over here, we don't we don't see the reality of what the faith is supposed to be, how good it's supposed to be. So, let's do this. Let's do some contrast here because Malachi is definitely talking contrast between those who serve God and those who don't serve God, between the God fearers and the people who don't fear God, between the people that are humbling themselves and the people that are arrogant. There's these there's these divisions, and, and, and the God fearers are looking at those over there. And they're dealing with it differently. What are they doing that's different? Let's look at that. Why is their faith stronger? Faith is not about arrogant individuality. So, you know, if you look at verses 14, verse 14, they're saying, why do we carry out these requirements? You know, and in verse 15, we call the arrogant blessed. Blessed are the arrogant, for they will, you know, (laughs) profit, they'll they'll have wealth, they'll they'll be well-respected, and, and, and everybody will know them, and they'll be influential. Blessed are the arrogant. <clears throat> and that's what the people are feeling. Faith is not about arrogant individuality. So, one way the faith can get kind of messed up is when you have the perspective, it's just me and God. It's me and God. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. All of us walk, into the kingdom one by one, right? You've got to have a personal faith in Jesus Christ and His death on the cross to cover your sin. I mean, that's individual. There's an individual part of our faith, no doubt about it. But when you stay frozen in that, me and God, me and God, and, and you shut other people out, when life is all about you and what God can do for you, how you can advance... How you can receive, when life is all about that, you start to go from me and God. Actually, maybe I'll say it like this you start to go from God and me to me and God. Me and God. And, and you start to become king. And you start to become arrogant. And you start to think that life revolves around you and what you want and your ways. And, and, and God really exists to affirm you and your ways, your individuality, what you want. I mean, this is a huge issue in American culture, our self-expression, what we want, what we feel we need. And, and we bring God into it, but it's certainly a me and God, not God and me. Faith is not about arrogant individuality. It's about communal encouragement what happens with the people here check this out it's such a it's such a small little verse here but it's so interesting Um, verse 16 did you see what happened here so some people are saying blessed are the arrogant but then in verse 16 other people those who fear the lord talked with each other that's it they talked do you know what they said i don't know what they said God knows what they said. I, I mean, the people of Israel would have been like, we know what we're saying. But, but, you know, hundreds and thousands of years later, I don't know what they were saying. But, but the people of God were talking with each other. And it says, the Lord, the Lord heard them. The Lord listened and heard. And then this scroll was written in God's presence. Like, remember this. You know, note to self. <laughs> Sally, June... And April were were, were talking, and and I heard it, and they were encouraging each other. And and Ralph and Larry and Al, they were talking, and I heard it. Write it down. Make a note. Now, of course, on the one hand, you say, God doesn't need notes, right? I mean, he knows it all. He's got a sharp memory. Uh, He doesn't need a note. He doesn't need a scroll. This is just a human way of saying, I'm never going to forget this. You know, it, it, it's like stronger than saying, I will remember. It's like, I had it written down. It's written down. Some of you make notes for yourself all the time. I do, because I always forget. And if I don't write it down, it's not going to be there. So, so for those of you that need notes, this is totally up your alley. This is, this is like one of those things you can relate to. God says, write it down. I want to come back to it. I want to celebrate that. I want to talk about that. I want to reward that. I saw what my people were talking about. Faith is not about this isolated, arrogant, me, myself, and I. It's us. It's the church. It's communal encouragement. I do know. I, th- I think one thing at least. When when these people were talking and God heard it, I'm pretty sure they were probably encouraging each other. And even though these people over here were saying, "Blessed are the arrogant." The god fears were saying, no, that's not how life is. God is not for the arrogant. He's not overlooking sin. He's still the judge. He'll still deal with this. Keep on. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. I'm sure they were encouraging each other. This is what we do as a church. Communal encouragement. If you wonder why the person on the other side of the room is drifting away from the faith, One of the questions you ought to ask is, why am I not investing in them so they don't drift away? We have to be disciple makers. We have to be... It's amazing to me to think that your conversation over coffee, God may be taking notes on that. Isn't that amazing? And your breakfast with the guys, where you bring up your faith and you pray together, God's marking that down. Met at the diner. 6.30 a.m. Talked about a family struggle. Talked about a difficult relationship. Prayed. Got it. Closed the book. I mean, that's amazing. And that's what we're called to do. Like, just... Meet together, talk together, and God's listening. He's listening. He hears everything, you know, but, but he's really paying attention to that. That's what he wants to hear. We say a lot of things. You know, sometimes I, I'm in, um, okay, here's confession time. And you know you've been here too. So don't, don't act like I'm not the only one that does this. But uh, I'll be in like a group at like a party, you know, or something. And this doesn't happen all the time. I don't do this all the time. But sometimes I'll be talking with somebody. And it's on a subject that I find very boring. It, it, I'm not going to tell you what those subjects are because it's not it's not nice. But I'll be—I'll be talking, and I'm—I'm I'm listening. But then I hear this conversation behind me, and they're like talking about something I really care about, you know. I don't know, maybe they're talking about, I I, I don't know, maybe they're talking about some political thing that's going on, you know, and did you hear so-and-so? Maybe they're talking about something they read in the Scriptures, and I was reading this and thinking about this, and I'll just be like, (laughs) it's terrible, it's terrible. Um, And I'm still in the conversation here, because it would be very rude to back out of that conversation. But as much as I love your dog, I like what's going on back here better. There, I gave you an example of what I mean. I know people love dogs and they could talk about them forever. And my, my family's like that. They love dogs. It's okay. Um, (laughs) so, I'm kind of tuned in. And sometimes I, I, I'm proving in that moment that men can multitask. I'm carrying on a conversation. Yep, yep. Fido, yep, got it. Yep. Oh, he hurt his leg. Man, that's bad. But I'm also listening to this cool thing that God's doing back here. Because I want to hear it. Um, God hears everything. hears everything. Every careless word it says, He hears it. But then you have these passages where God's like, look at that! That's the conversation I want to be in. And the conversation God wants to hear more than others is these conversations where we build each other up in the faith. We talk about the Scripture. We talk about life and how your faith relates to your life. When you talk about what's going on in your family and that hard thing, and then you end that time with prayer. Not that you can fix it all, but but, but that you're just encouraging each other. That's it. God's good at multitasking too, and there's some things he likes to hear more than others. Maybe I'm actually like him. Maybe I'm excusing myself. Okay. Um, That's it. That's it. Um, I, I got to be in one of these, you know, uh, in, in Orlando, I was talking to Pastor Daniel from Uganda, who's visiting at the end of this month here. And, and he, he was talking about, I was just able to give encouragement, he was talking about his house flooding. Like, the day that he left to come here, because he was doing training for other African leaders over here in Orlando, the water in his house, he showed me pictures in a video, the water in his house was up to the windowsill. That was the day He left. And, and his wife was like, it's okay, we'll handle it, you go, we'll, we'll be all right. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, you came here in the water. He's like, yeah, yeah. We've got to pray about that, you know, and then we're talking, and, and we need that. And it's just a conversation. Number one, faith is not about arrogant individuality, i got it all together, I'm showing a good front, me and God. No, it's about communal encouragement. Us and the faith together. Okay, number two. I love this. Uh, Faith is not about having treasure, but about being treasured. How about that? Uh, 3.17 Uh, On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possessions. I'll spare them as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. You're going to be my treasured possession. So, so, okay, context here. A few weeks ago we talked about money. And you know some people were not, a lot of people were not tithing. They were not giving 10%. They, they, they weren't giving the fullness of that. And, and apparently they thought they wanted more for themselves. It, it was theirs. And God's saying, you're robbing me. Faith's not about having treasure. It's not about what God gives you in this life. I know a lot of us know that, but that message is still really strong in some churches in this country. You know you know this. And some people on TV, it, it is strong in the preaching of some people. That, that God is really primarily interested in giving you stuff. And they say, that's blessing. I, I know God gives us stuff. I know He provides. I know... I, Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. I I know. But faith is not about having earthly treasure. According to Malachi, it's about being treasured. God says, I will take you as my treasured possession. You know? I have a lot of stuff. You have a lot of stuff. Some of you store stuff. Some of your spouses hate that. Um Some of you store stuff. My wife hates storing stuff. She'll just throw away that good stuff. Um, <laughs> but then there's some stuff that's like your treasures, you know? Like, like I think about Christy's ring that, that her parents made for her. It contains some diamonds from your family, you know? Like treasured possession. Special. It's that thing that you set out, and, and it just means a little bit more than the other things, all the other stuff that you have, that really you could dispose of even if you choose not to. It's special. It's different. And God says, this life, I'm not here to make you all rich. I'm here because I've made you a treasure to me. And that ought to make you step back and say, how in the world did God take a wretch like me and make me a treasure? How did that happen? See, the, the, the point of Malachi here is when it says, it'll be like a father sparing his son. Like a father sparing his son. People that may have wealth, but they're arrogant and they don't fear the Lord, they're going to receive something from him one day. Uh, Malachi 4.1 says there'll be fire involved and that's sobering. And then to think that God looks at us and we deserve that too. Cuz we've sinned and God says, "No, instead, I'm going to make you the most valuable thing to me, this treasured possession." Maybe not the most valuable, obviously I know, the Trinity, you know, the Son and the Spirit, those are value, those are the most valuable, but I'm going to make you a treasure to me, a valuable possession to me. That's the faith. The faith is not how God has given you all this stuff that you want to have. It's about God holding him close to himself and saying, You're mine. You're mine. I wanted you. You're mine. Thirdly, faith is not about political dominance, but about the righteous sunrise. Let's talk about this. Um, Israel is still uh, underneath Persian rule. Soon it will be Roman rule. And they they just had this series of empires telling them what to do. Politically, that's not very fun. (laughs) That's not a great place to be as a nation. And I believe we also let our faith get impacted in a negative way when we look at politics. I mean, it it comes to no surprise to most people, but we've got a couple choices this upcoming presidential election. A lot of people aren't happy with the choices. I don't know if you're happy or not, and I'm not saying what I am. I'm just saying a lot of people are really discouraged by it. But we don't put our hope in the political process. Faith doesn't do that. Faith in the Gospel says the Gospel changes things. And yes, we do pray for our leaders like the Bible says. We pray for peace. We pray for godly rulers. We want that. That's a good thing to want. But we don't let our faith get blown by that stuff. We don't put our hope in a political party, whoever's the head of that political party. We don't do that. Israel, don't do that. Don't put your hope in... Whoever gets to make the laws at this time in your history, because my laws still stand, God says. He says that at the end of uh, you know, chapter 4, verse 4. Remember the law, of my servant Moses, and the decrees I gave them. You know, it's like, the laws in this country may go haywire. And they are going haywire. But God says, my laws still stand. You're still obeying them, right? My laws still make, make sense. Keep going. Faith is not about political dominance. We don't put our hope there. Uh, maybe the most negative thing I can say, but I think it's absolutely true. I don't know the faith of, you know, uh, the couple of the candidates that are left here, but I think people question whether they're believers or not. And let's say they're not believers, even though I'm not the judge. You have the choice between darkness and darkness. Take your pick you want darkness number one or darkness number two? they They're And even if they were believers, they're still sinners. But the sunrise is coming when the darkness goes away. Politically speaking. The sunrise is coming. So, okay, what about this sunrise? Let's read that again here. Uh, this is a great verse. There's a Christmas song that mentions this. <clears throat> I don't like my version of the NIV. It changes this a little bit and should have read this earlier. Uh, this, is, but, this is chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who revere or fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. Or it could be translated wings. <clears throat> okay. You know that, that song? Uh, Risen with healing in his wings. You know, you know that song? Um, that's where that comes from. So there is a problem here. Uh, sun, S-U-N, is a homophone with son, S-O-N. Homophone, right? Did I get that right, grammar people? <clears throat> S-O-N. So they sound the same, but it's not necessarily saying Jesus, even though I think there's a Jesus reference here. Uh, we've got to be careful how we, how we look at it. But I do think Jesus is here. The son of righteousness will rise. So we've got to be careful. I believe this is a reference to the millennial kingdom when Christ comes. So I believe this is a reference to Christ. So you've got to understand how that works out. Um, Revelation 20, Christ comes back and sets up his millennial kingdom. Millennial kingdom, a thousand years reign. I believe that is referring to the sunrise. Paul talks about in Romans the sun coming up. It's coming. It's going to rise. I believe we're talking about a political ruler that's going to come here. And when he comes, the rays will shine down. Now, uh, rays or wings. That, that's another hard thing. Rays are wings. Um, <clears throat> if it's wings, healing in his wings, you could have the picture of a bird that's sheltering somehow. If, it, if, if the wings mean sun rays, if it's like a descriptive word for the sunlight, wings, rays, like this NIV translation does, rays, then it would almost be like Jesus comes and the light, the light of the world comes, and the light He shines will heal everyone. Heal all of His people. The light will shine. And when it says righteousness, it says the righteous Son... Righteousness would be doing what is right. Setting things right. The justice of God. Vindicating those that have been oppressed. Righteousness. Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years in righteousness. He will be the political ruler on earth for one thousand years. The sun's going to rise. It's also possible... It's also possible... The, the word uh, wings or rays <coughs> is also the word fringes. Fringes. Anyone get healed by touching the fringe of his garment? Remember this? Remember this? The woman with the issue of bleeding for years and years, and she's like, if I could just touch the fringe of his robe, and she just reaches out, and Jesus doesn't even have to be aware in the moment, you know, like, oh, she needs healing. She just touches it, and she's healed. The fringes. With, with healing in the fringes. I do believe the son of righteousness about Christ. I think you've got to be careful because son and son sound similar. That's an English thing, not a, not a Hebrew thing. You've got to be careful there. But I do believe we have good evidence to say this is about Jesus coming back, the sun is rising, and it's about Him reigning for a thousand years and being the ruler on earth and showing everyone this is how a political ruler rules in righteousness. And if you're a believer in him, you're going to be there to see that rule. You'll be there for that. So, our faith, let me say it again then, so we we'll pull all this together. There's a lot there. Our faith is not about political dominance, it's not about getting your party elected. That's not our faith. Our faith is in the sunrise coming and seeing him rule with justice and mercy. Seeing Him rule the whole earth for a thousand years. That's the sunrise we're waiting for. And until then, electing unbelievers, it's just electing darkness. And we've got to pray for them. Pray for wisdom for them. Pray for peace for this land. Pray for justice. But don't put your faith there. Okay. Fourthly, Faith is not about restrictions, but about joyful freedom. Let's read chapter 4, verse 2, the end of it. This is obviously where I got the picture behind me. Um, And you will go out and frolic, some translations say leap, like well-fed calves. Leaping calves. So our faith, It's not about restriction. Some people have this notion, and I think Israel had it there too, that when you become a believer, you've suddenly signed on for the giant list of do's and don'ts. And and that those things are restricting on how you'd like to live. What you'd like to do. Well, I can't do that. It wouldn't be the Christian thing to do. We haven't signed on to be restricted. If you think of the Christian faith like that, You'll become bitter. You'll become bitter against God for trying to keep you from something you think is good, something that you think you want to do. And God's just trying to hold you back. Faith is good because it keeps all of us crazy, wild men in line, you know? No. Faith is good because now you're free, like a calf leaving the stall and it's leaping around. It's joyful, it's free. The commands of God end up freeing us to live in a beautiful way, a holy way, a good way, a joyful way. All the ways God has told you to live in this book will bring you joy. They'll make you leap. And if you shift your thinking from restriction to freedom, you will have that joy and you will leap. Now look, I know some of you haven't left in years. I mean, literally, you haven't leapt in years. Some of you haven't skipped in a long time, and maybe you should. I don't jump around, unless I'm at the Badger game between the third and fourth quarter. And then I jump around. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I mean? Football game, you know, third and fourth quarter, they play the song Jump Around, and every, thousands of people in Camp Randall jump up and down. How many of you have done that? How many of you have actually jumped during that time? Good, good, some of you, Yes. You know the vibration you feel when you jump? That, that, you know what I'm talking about? Like you feel the whole stadium kind of like shift and shake. And you're like, oh boy, this can't be smart. But they've been doing it, they've been doing it for decades, right? <laughs> this can't be good to feel this. Um, kind of like the wind at the top of the uh, Hancock building. This isn't good, you know. <laughs> feel some shifting. Um, under at the right circumstances, some of you will jump. With the right pizza, some of you are really happy. Isn't that kind of funny? Um, you jump. Uh, God knows that in each of us there is a leaper, there is a jumper, there is a person that wants to celebrate everything He's done for you in Christ, and He wants you to jump with joy for it. You will leap. So why don't we get started now? You know, I mean this is a, this is a prophetic word. One day when the Son of Righteousness comes, when the sunrise happens, you're gonna leap. Get this. That means in this life, there's still we're still in some ways physically in stalls. We're like a calf in a stall. There's freedom in Christ, but the fullness of that freedom is coming. There's still some stalls. Your body can be a stall, keeping you from what you want to do because it's so painful. You know, uh, there's stalls. But one day, all the stalls are opened. I think we're going a little over, but I think we'll, we'll, we'll end with the song, um, Marvelous Light. Lift my hands and spin around. You think you can do that? No, really. I mean, you're just practicing a little bit. Because one day God says, you're going to jump. You're going to jump. And if God says jump, you say how hi, high, right? You know? Hi. I'm leaping. So we're going to do that at the end. And, you know, if you're physically able, I know, if you're in the stalls of life and your body won't do that, okay. You know. Okay. I, I get it. Okay. But, but if your body allows you, what, can I just ask you to try it? Just try it. It's good for you. Okay. I should have done a song where we could all jump around, shouldn't I? That would have been really fun. Okay. Okay. Um, is faith worth it? And the answer is yes, because of all these reasons. Because of the joy he's going to give, the healing he's going to bring you. He's going to be like the sunshine shining down and sun brings life, right? Plants can't survive without the sun. You can't survive without the sun. He brings life. And one day we're going to be leaping with joy for what he does. And you're going to be like, my body was never able to do this, <laughs> you know? And now I can jump around. All right, let's close it out here. Uh, I'm just going to do this really quick. It's not one of my main points at all, but it's really interesting to me. Uh, verse 5, See, I will send the, the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the... Of the uh, it says parents, uh, you, the literal translation is fathers, turn the hearts of uh, fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with total des- desolation, total destruction. The end, 400 years of silence. I mean, get this. The last words of God in the Old Testament are, or else I will come and strike the Lamb with total destruction. The end. Until Jesus is born. 400 years. Now, that wasn't lost on the Jewish people like how Malachi ended. They they were like, ouch, too, you know. And so what they did was, they inserted verse 5 at the end of verse 6 again. So they, they, they would read it and go, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Like they wanted to end on a happy note, Elijah's coming. And then the day of the Lord comes. Um, You know Elijah could refer to John the Baptist. You also know in the book of Revelation there's two witnesses that show up before Jesus comes back. Those two witnesses. It could be that one of those is Elijah in Revelation. But Elijah's coming. Okay? And more importantly, Christ is coming. And, and uh, fathers and children. How do we understand fathers and children? Then we'll, then we'll bring up and sing that last song. Um, fathers and children. I've heard this preached on Father's Day. I don't think it's a Father's Day passage. Here's why. What was funny about that? I don't know. <laughs> that was great, wasn't it? Yeah, I know. Um, he will turn the heart to the parents, to the fathers, to the children. So, It could mean this, and and if this is true, maybe it is a Father's Day passage, but um, you know how men were divorcing their wives a couple chapters ago and they were marrying unbelieving women? This could mean that God is saying, I'm going to turn the hearts of those fathers to follow me now after they got rid of their spouses and and married somebody else. I'm going to turn them back to me, and their kids will follow me too. That's a good, that's the first option. Yeah. The negative result of marriages to unbelieving women will be reversed. Fathers and children will be faithful to God. But I think the second option is probably more the deal. Okay? Second option. The Jewish fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, etc., will no longer be ashamed of their unfaithful children. The Jewish people will now have the same faith as their fathers. Remember Paul in Romans says there's going to be this great ingathering of the Jewish people. Remember in the book of Revelation, there's, there's this turning of the Jewish people to God? That at some point in history, there's going to be this great turning back. And the Jewish fathers, Abraham's going to be like, finally you get it! You finally get it! And the Jewish children are going to be like, yeah, we get it. Jesus is Lord. We get it. We get it. Friends, I pray that you get it. And I pray that your faith would not fail. And I pray that God would give you those moments of leaping joy in this life and in the next, for sure. And that your faith would just continue. Let me pray for you.